Let's turn to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 while you're doing that. In case um, you didn't, I haven't got to meet you yet. My name is Jordan. I'm the pastor here. And we're really glad that you have um, joined us this morning. We're really glad that you are here. And um, because we believe that God is present, he is uh, here with us, and he is eager to do a work in our midst. And so uh, one of the primary ways we believe he does that is by speaking through his word. So we're going to open up God's word together. Uh, we're going to read a portion of it, and then we will uh, uh, see what God has for us in a sense, where we will, we will walk through it together and, and sort of try to apply it to our lives personally. So if you're here and you're visiting with us, we're glad you're here, and we want to welcome you into what the Lord is, is at work in the journey. And... Um, and just remind you that, man, we're not here because we got it all together. We're here because we need Jesus. And so we want to welcome you into that. And even as we talk about what the body looks like, uh, we believe that the Lord doesn't have any of you here by accident and is calling you to be a part of, of his work at large. And, and, and we would love if you would join us as a, as a particular local body. We're really glad um, to answer any questions about what that may look like. All right, so let's look at 1 Corinthians 12. Uh, we are going to read uh, verses 27 through 31, and then we will pray and ask God to help us understand it. So it says this, Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. In verse 27, And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, and then miracles, and then gifts of healing and helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret but earnestly desire the higher gifts? And I will show you a still more excellent way. Let's pray. God, I'm grateful for your word to the church. I'm grateful that, that we don't have to wonder uh, about you, what your will is for us, um, how you would have us to approach uh, life uh, in general, and then life with one another. Uh, I'm so grateful for this book of 1 Corinthians where you have gone. You, you uh, empowered Paul to, to speak so specifically and so pastorally to so many different issues for this church thousands of years ago, and yet we are being blessed by it as we walk through it today. So we pray, Lord, that you would continue that blessing, that you would continue to shape and mold us as your people into the people that you would have us to be for the mission that you have before us, which is to uh, make your name known, to make disciples amongst all people groups here around us in, in Marion and Southern Illinois and, and beyond, Lord, all the way to the ends of the earth. So would you use us, your people, to that end and, and use this morning, use this time to shape and mold us to be more ready, more equipped, and more um, like you, Jesus. Um, so this is your word. We submit to it and ask that you would use it to, to mold and shape us today. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. All right, so if you know the story, and if you don't, man, we'd love to tell you even more about it. But you know that Jesus came and lived, as we always say, the life that we couldn't live, meaning he lived a perfect life. He was without sin, and he, he did incredible ministry while he was on earth. We know that. We know those stories. If you don't, the, uh, the first four books of what we call the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, account those, those times when Jesus was doing ministry on earth and the way that he did ministry, the things that he did, the way that he taught, the way that he healed, the way that he did miracles. And so Jesus did that, but then we know that all of that was leading up to this, this point that it seemed like a tragedy in the moment, but ended up being this moment of glory that God has used to ransom and redeem sinners unto himself when Jesus ended up on 
the cross, where this, this young man of around the age of 33, with all of this promise, with all of this following, ends up dying a premature, seemingly premature death on the cross. Why would, why would, why would such a, a, a gift to the world, why would it come to such a screeching halt on such a cruel and awful thing as a cross? And man, can you imagine questions in the very real-time pain that his disciples, those that had given their lives to follow him, those who loved him as friends and family, felt after that Friday whenever he was indeed killed on the cross, and they saw him be buried in a local man's tomb. Can you imagine and feel that? But we know that the story doesn't end there, right? That on the third day, Jesus was raised back to life in this incredible moment of, of victory where, where one of the songs says that God has robbed the grave. This is the, what we celebrate, not just the, the crucifixion, but the crucifixion is made powerful through the resurrection and that Jesus was indeed raised back from the dead and that he lived for 40 days or so on the earth. I think actually specifically he walked with people and revealed himself for 40 days on the earth and then he was ascended into heaven, taken up on a cloud where he took a place at the right hand of the Father on his throne um, and it says, until all of his enemies become his footstool, and then he's going to return again someday. So that, that's sort of the, the, the big picture story that we find ourselves in. But, but I, I want, as we kind of lean into what, what is God doing with us here today, I want you to think about why, did, why didn't Jesus just stay on earth as the resurrected Savior? Like, why didn't he just stay and continue doing his ministry and continue showing his glory in now a glorified body? We see that his body is, is changed. It's still him. It's still recognizable. But yet he's like, you know, moving in and out of walls and, and some interesting things, right? Um, but he can, you know, he can invite his disciples to touch the scars and the nail holes in his hands and in his feet and in his side. Uh, that, that they can physically eat with him and yet he is moving in and through time. It's incredible. So his glorified body is even more um, powerful and awesome than what he was doing uh, prior to his resurrection. And so why didn't he just stay? Like if he wanted to accomplish this mission of bringing everybody to his name, right, for everybody to know that Jesus is the Savior, why didn't he just stay? Like why isn't he somewhere physically where even if we had to travel, right, to the Middle East today to go see him, like we, we could do that. We could see him and, 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 and believe, you know, and touch the scars ourselves and hear the story. Like, why didn't he do that? Have you ever thought about, you ever asked questions like that when you read the Bible? Like, why do you do that, Lord? Like, why do you make this all, why do you make us have faith, right? Am I the only one that has these questions? Like, wouldn't it be easier, Lord, if you just, like, have you ever had the thought, like, what, like, why doesn't he show up and do these miracles? Like, I could use some water turned into wine. Like, I'd, I could use some, you know, some multiplying of, of some people's lunches. I could use those sorts of miracles. If I could see him tell the storm to stop and, it, and he would stop, then, man, I would worship him. Who wouldn't worship him, right? You ever have questions like that? And the reality is he could have stayed. He could have done that. He could have stayed and taken an earthly throne and, and called people to himself and, and established this type of a kingdom. But that's not what he did. And instead, he... He says that he's going to leave, and he's leaving on purpose, not because he's tired, not because that he doesn't want to do that or he can't do that, but rather because this is what he's been planning to do the entire time. And so he, he leaves, and he ascends into heaven, and he, and he leaves these disciples, these followers, these normal people like you and me to go and continue his ministry and to tell the whole world who he is and how they can be saved. And it's this really, it seems like a really radical move. 
doesn't it? Like, really, you're going to entrust the gospel to these guys? It says right there, Matthew 28, when they're there on the mountain waiting for Jesus to ascend, they're looking at the, the resurrected Jesus, and it says that they were there, but some doubted. Like, I don't know, you know what I mean? Like, it's, like I doubt, I have my own doubts, but they're there, they're, 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 they're laying eyes on Jesus, but they're still, some, they're still struggling, and so he, he leaves it with these, these people that are, that are not perfect, that don't have it all together, and yet he is, he's entrusting them to be the ones to take the mission forward. Well, well, it seems radical unless you know the rest of the story, unless you know the context of what Jesus was doing. And, and what he was doing was restoring the way things were, were meant to be. He's, he's restoring the lost humanity that, that he made them to be. So if you go back to the beginning, the way that God made us as, as human beings was to be uh, image bearers, made in his image, meaning we are like God and we are to rule in his place. The, the reason that we're to make no other image, you know that, that commandment, not, don't make any graven image, don't have any other images you know, of God. Well, why is that? Because he already made an image of himself. You realize that? That's us. We don't make something else to work. No, no. Like, he's made us in his image. And we are, are the, the original design was for us to rule and reign and, and cultivate, like, to bring the world into submission and rule with God as his co-laborers, as his co-rulers on this earth. That was the original design. But it all went wrong when we sinned. We thought we needed God's position, not our own, and that he was holding out on us. And things got twisted and broken, and selfishness, and sin, and, and sickness, and death, and all of those things entered in in Genesis 3. And the whole deal got flipped upside down, where, where man was now trying to, instead of co-laboring with God, worshiping God, getting their, their life from God, was trying to do what only God should do. And it got messed up. And so Jesus is coming when he comes to, to not just do this whole new thing, but rather to restore what was meant in the beginning. So when he ascends and, and breathes power onto his people, and that's exactly what he does. He tells them to stay in Jerusalem, and you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. And this is an incredible story. In Acts, you should read Acts 1 and 2 this afternoon if you have some time. To, just make some time, even if you don't have some time. Like Read Acts 1 and 2, and this is an incredible story where he says, hey, stay here, and I'm going to breathe. I'm going to give you power when the Holy Spirit falls on you. You'll, you'll be my witnesses here, there, and to the ends of the world. It's incredible. And he does just that. He breathes the Spirit onto his people. And so he continues his ministry through the church. That's what we're getting at with these spiritual gifts. So, so the reality is Jesus is here in Southern Illinois in 2020 ministering. You realize that? Jesus is present in our area, in our community, in our world, ministering doing his thing. Ministry of Jesus is still happening. How? Through us, the body of Christ. Those who have been saved and have been made members of Christ's body, like not just the journey, but all those who are, who are believers and members of Jesus Christ who have confessed their sin and asked Jesus to be their Savior and have given their lives, that died to their old self and raised to new life, we become the body of Christ. And that's what Paul is talking about. So instead of just you know, picking one person from each church or even one person from each area and making them really a whole lot like Jesus with all these gifts, no, no. Instead, he says, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give some gifts to each of you. And together, collectively, you will make up my body. It's this incredible, seemingly radical move by Jesus 
to do his ministry. But that is indeed where we find ourselves. So he gives gifts to each of his people. And I think this, this itself, we have to keep coming back to this because this requires a, a shift in how we look at the church. Too, too much of our thinking in today's world is we, we look at the church as somewhere that we kind of come and consume content. We kind of come and, and, and you know, watch, if you will, and maybe we have a passive role. Maybe we do these, these things here and there. But no, no, what he's talking about is us actively being a part of what God is doing as his hands and feet and, and every other limb and part of the body. We all have a role and a function, and that's what he's doing in the midst of the church. So God gives gifts to his people. So when you come into the kingdom, when you meet Jesus, he gives you a gift. But the interesting thing is, he doesn't give it to you for you. Right? And so some of you, you, you're used to acknowledging gifts with people who are on stage or people who are just really good at counseling. Man, they really have a gift for that. But the reality is, so do you. You have a gift for something. That God has, has given you a gift. If you're a part of the body of Christ, you may not feel like it's a, a valuable gift. You may not feel like you've ever really you know, figured out what it is or you're not sure. But the reality is he's given you a gift. But he hasn't given it to it for you just to enjoy. And, and, and that's not the whole point and purpose. The reality is he's given it to the church. He's given this gift to the church and he's giving it through you. So the church needs something. The church needs something to experience the fullness of who Christ is, and he's going to give it to the church through you. So we're in the midst of walking through this, this passage of Scripture where we're learning about what does that look like? How, what are those gifts, and then how do they work together not to elevate one another or put others down, but rather collectively to bring the experience of being a part of the body of Christ and, and, and being used by Jesus. So, of course, there's enjoyment in using those gifts, but ultimately it is, it is for us to be, uh, those gifts to be channeled through us for the goodness and for the edification, the overall common good of the church. So, what we talked about last week is that in terms of, of self-promotion, Right In terms of how is this going to benefit me and how people think about me and, and my status, the individual Christian is not important. Okay, So in terms of self-promotion, the individual Christian is not important. Meaning, it, just because somebody has this gift or they're used in this way does not make them elevated and for everybody else to be in awe of and create this hierarchy or celebrity uh, you know, culture. No, no. So in terms of self-promotion... The individual is not important, but in the terms of the value to the whole body, every Christian, every individual is, Paul says, indispensable. Okay, so we got to flip that on our, like, because in terms of self-promotion, you are not that big a deal. Turn and look at your neighbors, say, you're not that big a deal. Go ahead. I know it's weird. We don't do that much, but you can do it. Go ahead. Look at them. Say, you're not that big a deal. Okay? But in terms of the whole body, you're indispensable. So turn and look at your neighbor and say, but you're indispensable. Go ahead. It's, yeah, you can do it. So it's this incredible paradigm shift of where, even though you've got this gift of teaching or prophecy or tongue, it doesn't, it's not made to elevate you for people to think more of you. But, but as we all look at one another, no matter what the gifts are, whether they're on, out front for everybody to know or not, they're indispensable and essential, and we can't do life without one another. There's this interdependence upon one another where every individual is important. No one position, no one gift is elevated above the other, but we work together collectively as a, as a body. And Paul used the illustration of a physical body and how that operates. So 
Uh, we've covered some of the gifts. Paul is kind of hitting them at different times, and we're going to hit some more in a few weeks. We, we've sort of set uh, prophecy and tongues aside to kind of give them uh, a, a, you know, a whole sermon to sort because they're so misunderstood or undervalued or un, you know, misused that we're going we're gonna to dive deeper into them in chapter 14. Uh, but we've looked at some, and we're going to look at four more today. We're going to look at these gifts briefly, um, each of these gifts, and then talk about, okay, what does this mean for us? How, what, what is God calling us to do in the midst of all these? Because you're going to hear some gifts, and you're like, no, that's definitely not me. And you're going to hear some others, you're like, maybe. And, and maybe you're like, I just have no idea. So we're going to look at four more gifts today. Those are uh, this, the gift of, of being an apostle, or, and that's more, it's a position and a gift, but we'll talk about that. Um, Teaching, helping, and administration. So we're going to look at those today uh, through this passage. So Paul starts out uh, where we picked up. He doesn't start out. He's been going through this train of thought for a while. But in our, our, our verses, 27, he starts out by, by recapping what he's been saying. Right? So he's been talking about this body analogy. 27, he says, now you are all the body, or you are the body of Christ. So he's looking at this church. He's writing to this church saying, you, church, you are the body of Christ. You are. And individually, members of it. So collectively, we make up the body of Christ, but individually, you play a role in it. You, you are members of the body. And it says, And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, and it goes on. And so uh, th- this takes some explaining because it seems like he's kind of putting rank to these these uh, gifts, and it seems to sort of counteract what he's been saying about, hey, no gift is more important than the other gift, right? Anybody else confused when you read that? You're like, wait, I thought you just said that, you know, the indispensable part that nobody sees is just as valuable than the, the, the mouthpiece, right? And, and so you, you have to have some understanding here. Okay, what's he saying? And so what, what I would say, and we'll, we'll come back to this after we kind of explain some of these, but what I would say is, is this is less about like rank, order of importance, right? Like what it seems like is, okay, you know, First pick is you get to be an apostle. Second pick, prophets. Third pick, teachers. And, you know, if you're lucky, you'll make that draft. You know, you'll, you'll get a really good uh, spot, a really good contract in the church. But if not, then there's these other deals. You know, you can, you can be part of the team. You know, you're going to be on the line. Nobody's really going to know your name. But, man, we're really glad you're there. And that's what it seems like. He said, okay, these are really important. You know, quarterback, wide receiver, running back. You've got to get a lot of credit. going to get a lot of people that are going to be talking about you a lot. Uh, but if not, you know, we, we still need you. We'll find a place for you. But I don't think that's what he's doing. And in fact, I, I would say that the, the idea of this ordering first, second, and third is, is more about a, a, a sequencing, if you will, a sequencing. So the order in which the church actually receives and, and, and is launched. And so if you know, think about that in the context of what he's talking about here, he's, this, is a, this is a new church. Like the New Testament church is a new thing in general for these people, right? This is just about... I don't know, uh, 60 or so, 50, 60 years after Jesus has ascended, you know? And so this is a new thing to be a, a part of a, a New Testament church. And so Paul is literally saying, hey, this is how this came to be. God used these people in this way, and then this came, and then this came, and then this came. So I, I think it'll make a little more sense after we define them. So the first thing he talks about is an apostle. So he makes some to be apostles. Well, what, what is that? And um, and, and some are already feeling like, okay, well, I, I've heard, you know, if you've heard somebody identify themselves as apostle in today's world, it's, it's likely, not for sure, but it's likely that you may have seen that be abused and you may have this, this kind of uh, caution reaction already going up. And, and that may be very well warranted because you may have seen somebody abusing this, claiming to have some authority to speak in the same um, authority in terms of the scripture as, you know, 
the, the guys who wrote the scripture, and maybe they're wearing a suit and asking you to send them money. I, I, don't, I don't know. But, but what is this word apostle? Well, simply put, it's just defined as one who is sent. Right? So the most simple de- definition is, is one who is sent. Or even if, you know, take it out of biblical context, it, ha- it has meaning just as someone is sent as a messenger or an accredited representative. Okay? So that's just real simply what the, 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 Greek, the, the word there means. It's just one who is sent, a messenger, or an accredited, that's important, an accredited representative. Now, so they can have different levels of authority based on who sent them, how much authority that sender has, and how much authority that, that sender gives to them. And so that, that can vary, but just simply that's what the word means. Now, in the, in the New Testament uh, and, and throughout the story of the Bible, there is a specific mentioning of the 12 apostles, right? There is there's, uh, a mention of that number that Jesus in Luke 6 selected the disciples and named them to be apostles. And then you see uh, it mentioned all throughout. And then in Revelation 21, it talks about how the city of God is going to be built on the foundation of the 12 apostles. And that's, in, that's it's all tied to the 12 tribes and all this work that God is doing. And there's beautiful um, connections and, and threads that are woven throughout the, the history of all that God has been doing in redemption that, that, that's just really rich when you start looking at this, this idea of 12. So Jesus has 12 disciples that he calls to himself, right? That he, that he There's a moment in the, in the Gospels where he's praying and asking God, who are you setting aside for me? Who, are you, who do you want me to call and bring alongside to send out into this mission? So he calls these 12 disciples. You, you know many of them. We talk about them. It's guys like Matthew and... and um, and uh, Simon and, the, and the, you know, the Sons of Thunder, and there's these, you know, these, these different names. You see them interacting throughout the, the gospel. So he has these 12, and, and they're a part of what, God, what Jesus is doing, and they're specifically a part of his kind of inner circle. They're, he spends the most time with his 12, discipling them, training them to be his presence when he leaves to continue the ministry after he ascends. And so there are those 12. If you know the story, one of those is a guy named Judas who ends up playing for the other team, and um, things go really badly. He betrays Jesus, and then after that betrayal, he hangs himself, and so his life is over. So they had this moment of like, okay, we gotta, we got to find another one. we got to have 12. We only got 11. Now we got to pick another one. And so they have this process in Acts where they're like, okay, who's, who's going to be our next person? We need to make sure that they have been around the ministry of Jesus, that they've seen Jesus as resurrected. Those are some of the qualifications. And so they choose a man named Matthias, and he becomes sort of the, the one that fills back in the number to 12. And so there is this particular role of, of apostle that, that God uses to be the ones that, that kind of launch his church into existence. And they end up being the ones that... that by and large, write the New Testament. But in addition to those 12, there are guys like Paul and, and Jesus' brother James that are also brought into this era and commissioned by Jesus for the launching of his church. And so it, to be, and so there's sort of this distinction between the office of apostle and then this gifting or you know, role of apostle. And so in terms of the, you know, the office of apostle, there were the, the 12. There, there's, there, there's not, like we're not still electing those guys. Uh, you have Paul that is also brought into that as the apostle to the Gentiles. And so in that realm, what is, it, what is, it, what is required of you to be one of those capital A apostles, those initial New Testament given authority, given, given authority by Jesus specifically, they needed to uh, have seen the resurrected Jesus 
All right, so all the 12 disciples had seen that, and then Paul sees Jesus, and Jesus shows up and reveals himself to him, not just in a resurrection body, but also in a glorified body, and Paul is, is encountered with Jesus, and Jesus specifically says, you will be my witness to the Gentiles. You're going to be a missionary that goes and tells the Gentiles, the rest of the world, about the good news of the gospel. And so Paul also becomes an apostle, but, it, but he is, that he's qualified by seeing the resurrected Jesus. He's qualified by being sent by the resurrected Jesus. And so, so these men have a particular role, a particular authority, and serve in a particular period of history to be the ones that, that complete God's written word, his written revelation. They are the ones that, that wrote the New Testament. And so they have a particular role in a moment of history and once that is over, once they die, there are, there are no more being elected to or placed in that office of apostle. So what, what do we do with that? What, what, what does that look like for us? Do we, do, are we looking for more apostles or what, is, what, is that, what does that mean? Do we just kind of skip over this gift? And I, and I would say to you, does this gift still exist? Uh, and, and that takes some explaining. So does, does God still make some people apostles? And again, not in that sense, right? Not in the sense of having the same authority um, you know, given to them by, by being handpicked by Jesus, by being commissioned specifically by the person, the resurrected person of Jesus, in, you know, in person, him actually looking you in the eye and saying, no, no, you, you're a part of this deal. I'm sending you. That No, he, he's not. None of us were our eyewitnesses to Jesus' ministry or to his resurrection, right? None of us were there to be handpicked by Jesus, and none of us are going to be given the authority to continue writing Scripture. That is closed. It's not to be added to. So, so in that sense of an office, no. There are not apostles in that sense of the term today. But if we go back to the, the most basic definition of the term, right, one who is sent, one who is commissioned to go and, and begin gospel work, well, yeah, that, that, that exists today. That's kind of the definition of a missionary, isn't it? Like one who is sent to go begin a gospel work where there perhaps isn't a gospel work, that's kind of the definition of a, of a church planner in many ways. And so um, I, I think it's helpful that we don't use that term. We don't necessarily call them apostles because that can kind of get... Um, you know, tangled up and maybe take from the, the, you know, the definition and the, the, the authority that, that these men do indeed hold to, to write Scripture, to speak authoritatively, to, to launch the church, to lay the foundation for the New Testament church. So I think it's helpful that we don't necessarily call them that. But as far as that gifting where God is, is calling someone saying, hey, you are going to be sent to this place to begin a work that doesn't yet exist. Right? There, there are no, there's not a church here. I want you to go start a church there. I want you to start proclaiming the good news of Jesus there, and I want you to begin this work. So I, I think, yeah, that sort of thing indeed is still happening. God is still gifting people and calling people to do that sort of work. But that doesn't come with the same authority as the apostles referenced as, as sort of foundational to the church. So in a historical sense for the church, what, what Paul is saying here is these guys were sent first, meaning that they're the ones that came and, and, and started the church. They're the ones that, that go forward with this work. So when, when you kind of go back to what is Paul meaning by first, second, and third, I think you know, he's just saying, hey, as this thing got launched, what did he need first? He needed apostles. 
right? If we're going to launch the church, we, we, Jesus goes, first, I've got to have apostles. I've got people who are sent with my authority to say, this is, this is what is true, and this is how we are to live. Gather a people together. This is what it looks like to be a member of a local church. This is our mission. This is our role. This is how we do discipline. This is how we do life together. This is how we do community. Somebody has to set that up, be in charge, and lead out in that. So practically speaking, to start a church, First and foremost, somebody had to be sent as an apostle to do that work. So we are, we are living today, our, our body as a church, we are on the foundation of the work of the apostles that Jesus handpicked himself to start this whole deal. So we, we are built on the foundation of the work of the apostles. And so that, that is true. So I think historically, that makes some sense as far as what Paul is talking about. But I think then even practically in today's world, if you think about it, as, as God continues to plant churches and continues to do gospel work, he, he's still sending people to start new churches and new movements. We, again, they're often called missionaries or church planners, but they're doing that work of an apostle of starting something new, right? Maybe crossing cultural boundaries and saying, you know, I'm going to go here and, and do this work of the Lord. Like, yes, so he, he continues to do that work. But I think it's helpful that we don't necessarily use that, that, uh, that title for them. So just in a sense of sequencing, I think it's helpful to see, okay, Paul's saying, okay, so he gave to the church first apostles, right? They just had to kind of go first. Not that they're more important, but they're going to go first and lay this foundation. And then he says, and second, prophets, which we're going to talk more about, you know, this, this gift of prophecy and and, you know, prophets, we're going to talk more about that in the coming weeks, but it's really this idea of, of, of having this revelatory gift where you are, are, are showing or, are, you know, being used by God to, to build up the church, to speak God's word to his people. And so we'll talk more about that in coming weeks, but that's sort of the second. So the apostle comes and sort of starts the church, but then there's, there's somebody sent kind of behind them to, to be the people who are speaking on God's behalf or opening up God's word and applying it to a fresh generation and calling people to, to live in this way. So secondly, that's just sort of the, the next um, phase in is the, the work of the prophet. And then thirdly, teachers. And so God's going to call, once that's established, once we have a group of people that are being called to repent of their sins, to join the, the work of God, to join this church, to, to give their lives to this work of making Jesus' name known. Once that happens, this is all established. Now God's going to bring in some people to be teachers, to, to continue to explain the work of God. And, and so I'm gonna, I'll talk more about being a teacher in just a moment, but, but I think, again, this first, second, third thing, we can make too big a deal about it and you know, kind of rank things, but I think you read it in context. You, you know what's going on there. I think there's, there's that, the sequencing, but I also think there's a, there's a part of it that to be defined as a church, you need to have these things. You need to have biblical teaching as a church. You need to have somebody who has set parameters and authority of membership uh, for a local church, that this is what we're going to do. This is who we're responsible for, right? And if we don't have, like, we can, we can kind of start a, a little gathering of Christians in our home, and we can get together and, you know, pray for each other and, and maybe even read the Bible, and, and we can have this fellowship, if you will, and that's not, a, that's not a bad thing. In fact, that's a really good thing. But in order to be a church, there must be the preaching of God's Word. There must be a gathering together, a devoting uh, of ourselves to the, to the teaching of the disciples, the apostles. And so uh, it's, it's part of like there's an essentialness, not a more important, but like if these things don't happen, then we don't have church. Does that make sense? If these gifts, if these people aren't put in place, then we, we don't really have what we would define as church. So there's, there's part of that, okay? So then teachers are brought in after the church is sort of established to, to be the ones that continue to explain. So what does it mean to be a teacher? I think 
Uh, simply put, it's the ability to explain Scripture and apply it to people's lives. So very simply, God calls some to be teachers, and that is, means you have the ability to explain Scripture and apply it to people's lives. Like in, in, a, in a modern context, we take what is taught in, in God's Word and we apply it to people. Uh, yes, this is one of the things that God has called me to do and, and, and I believe gifted me to do, uh, not to, to put me in this position. Again, it shouldn't matter more that I'm up here than you all. It's just this is the, the way that God is choosing to use me. And, but it's not just about me. It's not just about... so. You know, it's a qualification for elders. They should be able to teach, right? Doesn't necessarily mean from the stage, but but in some format, when they are able to uh, explain and apply the word of God, right? And so that's a qualification for elders. But it doesn't make not all teachers are elders, right? And so there's some of these gifts that work together. There's some of them that are super connected, but but this is a part of of what God wants to do in His church, and and this is evidenced by you know effective teaching, meaning that when, when you teach, people understand. Right? Because there's plenty of people who got a lot of knowledge, and that was a gift we talked about before, like a word of knowledge, right? But that doesn't mean they're able to communicate it to you, right? You ever had a teacher like that? You're like, I'm certain that guy's real smart. I don't have any idea what he's talking about, right? When he teaches, it's just like, like it's, I don't know, he uses a lot of big words, like I'm confused. And so if, if, that's, if that's you, you may have a lot of knowledge, but, but when you, you know, attempt to explain that to other people, people leave a little more confused than they do then you may not have the gift of teaching. You may have a gift of knowledge. You may have an, another gift of counseling. And there may be different ways that God wants to use you. There, there are people in the church that just have, a, just have a mind for storing knowledge. And I'm trying to identify them and use them more. And, and a lot of times they'll come to me after a sermon and be like, oh, that makes me think of this or makes me think of that. So now I'm trying to go to them before my sermon and be like, hey, talking about this, give me your knowledge. Like, share with me. All right? God may not have called them to be the one who teaches, but he, they have this trove of knowledge. So there's a difference there. Um, so... To identify this, you would ask yourself, man, do, well, we should go back to the apostle thing. Like, you should, like, do you have a desire to start new things? Do you have a desire to, to be a part of a movement that doesn't yet exist? Does the idea of packing up and leaving this context and going somewhere else to start, help start a church, plan a church, does that excite you? Do you, do you? Does something stir in you? Moving across from one culture to another, right, to, to be a part of a gospel movement, is, is, that, is that resonating? God might be might have already gifted you or might be gifting you with this call to, to be in an, an apostolic work, right? To, to be a part of a new work, to launch something, right? Likewise with the teacher. Do you, do you desire to teach, quite frankly? Like, do you have that longing? Do you, do you want to be um, helping people understand the Word of God? Do you think about ways to make things known more clearly? Like, as you're getting information, are you automatically thinking, okay, I could, I could explain this to this group of people in this way. Right? Is that you? Is that how you're wired? It, like, as you're taking in things, as God's teaching you things, you're thinking about, okay, I could share this with others. I could, this, this would translate here to my community group. Or, or man, if I just had a chance to talk to these kiddos, I, I'd love to explain this to them. Is, is maybe God has gifted you and called you to be a teacher. Are, are you thinking about things in that way? So, so again, these first three are, are given a number, and I think it's more of a sequencing than an order of importance, if you will. So hopefully that makes some sense. If not, see me afterwards. We can talk a little bit more about it. But the next gift... Uh, well, he mentions miracles and healings, which we've talked about, right? Um, and we're going to come to talk about prophets later. But the next gift we're going to talk about today is helping. So helping, the gift of helping, 
Um, and, and it's important because the whole idea here that Paul is saying is, hey, God calls some to be this and some to be this, and this is not more important than this. It doesn't matter who thinks so, right? Just because the foot says, hey, I'm not a hand, so I don't want to, I'm not a part of the body anymore. Paul says, that's foolish. You're still a part of the body. And so uh, when we think about spiritual gifts, sometimes we're thinking about, okay, these are the really exciting ones. These are the ones that get people are known for in the church. And, and sometimes I think helping kind of gets you know, put on the side here, but it shouldn't. It should not. And as we talked about, there's, there's people that are called to do things that you may never know about, but man, you're really glad that they do them, whether you know it or not, because when they stop doing them, then you notice, and, and we all feel that. And so same is true about parts of our body. And so helping uh, is, is people who are, who are gifted to really bring relief and support, uh, to, bring, to render assistance with others or to others with compassion, grace, and joy. And, and that's kind of the key word, because all of us as Christians should be ready to help, right? Like we should have a posture about us where if someone's in need, we should be willing to help them, right? So that's part of just like, you know, being a Christ follower. But there are some people who are just really overjoyed to help. Like they don't want to be up front generally. They don't want to have recognition. They're just like, what do you need? I'll do it. These are the people that just show up and say, hey, what do you need? How can I help? Okay, cool. I'll do that. I'll pick up trash. I'll spread out tablecloths. I'll move chairs, right? A place needs to be vacuumed? Cool. Give me a vacuum, right? Like, wh whatever I can do. Like, and they don't want recognition. Usually, they're just like, okay, cool. Toilet paper needs to be replaced. I'm on it, right? Like, run slides. I don't know anything about it, but I'll try to do it. I'll figure it out. Teach me. I'll do it. Like, and they have joy about it. They're just, they, they don't, they don't have, maybe for some of you, you're like, I don't necessarily desire to this specific. I don't want to teach. I don't, I don't really feel like this is me. I don't feel like this is me. So you might not feel like you have a place but you're like, I just kind of want to be used. You might have the gift of helping. You're just like, I'll just do whatever. I'll just do whatever. Praise God for people like this, right? Praise God for, for God calling people to just be helpers. We have many of you in our church, and I'm so grateful for it. And, and may we never take advantage. May we find more ways to continue to honor those of you who are, who are simply called to, to help. And, and you might know if you have this gift, if, as you are, you are particularly drawn to areas of struggle or suffering. Like you identify them just automatically. Or they identify them to yourself, right? So some people walk in a room, they just see a group of people. Others, you know, with the gift of help will see this person, you know, struggling to accomplish this task or this person feeling, you know, a weight and, and they're just going to be drawn to them. This is the person who, uh, you know, is constantly help people, helping people move, right? Oh, your yard needs to be mowed? I'll get that. You, you need help uh, replacing your floor? I, I, I'll do that. I can do that. And God has gifted so many of you to just step in and serve in that way. And so you find these people just wherever you go. You just find them helping others. It's beautiful, right? I look out the other day. We got at, at several different times. I've looked out, and there's just a couple of our guys cutting trees down in our yard and hauling them off. Nobody asked them to do it. In fact, they asked us if they could. I'm like, yeah, cool. It'd be great. It's a dead tree. We need it gone. And they're just, they're just helping, right? Hey, that needs to be done. I'll do it. God, God gifts the body with people like that. Praise God for the richness of that gift. And then the last gift we're talking about today is administration. This gift of administrating, right? So as God brings his, his, you know, his vision to, to pass, as he calls people on mission, somebody has to come along and organize that mess, right? Somebody get an amen, right? A lot of guys with big ideas, big visions, they have no idea, like they're not good at like executing on that and getting people in, in the place. And, and, and I need those sorts of people around me. I can dream, I can think, I go, okay, God's calling us here, but, but I need people to come alongside and say, okay, well, in order to get there, this is how we got to go, right? It's similar language to somebody who's sort of 
the navigator and, and, you know, okay, this is where we're headed, but we need somebody to sort of chart out the, 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 the way to get there. We're going to need to stop here for supplies if you're thinking about like a trip on a boat. Okay, we can only get this far. We have to stop here for supplies. We've got to go around this place so we don't crash, the, you know, and we've got to chart it. Like they put order and a process where there is not, right? So they bring order out of chaos, right? And then they keep order, right? So these are people that God gifts to bring, to bring or preserve order in the body of Christ. So these are people that God uses to organize people and information to accomplish God's mission. Okay, so they bring and preserve order into the body of Christ and the mission of Christ. And the way they do that is by organizing people and information for God's mission. If, if this is you, you, you love to make a plan, right? You're, you're, you're think, you, you, it, it makes you crazy when somebody tries to plan something for tomorrow night because you've had tomorrow night planned for six months. Right? You're like, no, but I can pencil you in in February. You're like, all right, cool. I just wanted to like ask you how you were doing, but I guess we'll do that in February, right? Like, some of you, that's just how you are. Like, you're just admit, like you think that way. You're like, ah, I got, I got, I got a lot of plans. I don't know. Like, why? How could you talk about tomorrow night? Like, it's ser- and seriously, like I've had people that you know, hey, you guys want to go out for dinner? Uh, I've had dinner planned for two weeks now. Like, if you if we go out with you, then this dinner is going to be. I'll just have to throw it away. I'm like, well, I don't think so. Like, <laughs> I think you could probably just roll it. You know, you could just. But that, but this is how you think. You, you're really good at putting a plan together. You're really good at putting uh, pieces together. Uh, this was Jethro in the book of Exodus. If you if you you read as as God's bringing uh, this this large group of people for Moses to lead, you know that Moses is spending like all day every day at court. He's just hearing everybody's cases, everybody's grievances, and it's exhausting. He's spending all daylight hours just hearing this thing after this thing. Well, Moses' father-in-law comes along and goes, "Dude, you're gonna die. <laughs> like, ain't nobody gonna sustain that very long. You need to appoint people to help you with that. So make a system." He goes, "All right, you're gonna need to put." like 10 people under you, and then they're going to oversee like 100 people, and then they'll oversee like some more people, and, and he just begins to build a system out. And, and I'm sure Moses was like, that is awesome. Why didn't I think of that? Well, because God didn't give Moses the gift of administration necessarily, but he gave it to Jethro, and he's really grateful for that, right? So if this is you, you, you really just like to, like, ah, I think if you just thought about this or made this plan, all of this would go better. Well, cool. Help us out. Like, we, 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 we need more of you. God's gifted some of you. That, that's how, we, like, Cindy's on staff, and that's a lot of the ways that God has gifted her. She's doing, but doesn't mean it's just, okay, well, that's Cindy's role. No, no, no. Uh, like, God wants to continue to use each of you, and so don't be afraid to step up and be like, hey, I think I could help maybe bring some order and process. I had somebody just this week uh, on a conversation be like, hey, man, I, I feel like you probably shouldn't have had to take that call. You probably should have people under you that kind of help with that. And I'm like, yeah, that's probably true. Like, that's good wisdom. Like, let's figure out how to implement that. Right, like, like, so I'm gonna, you know, let that person help us implement that. Uh, these are th- these people. If this is you, you know, you you really like to shop at Office Max or Staples. Like, you just go there to browse. You know what I mean? Salespeople are like, you know, help you find anything. You're like, no, I'm just happy. Right? There's sticky notes and file folders and. You know, I, you're just browsing because this is what you enjoy. You just you just like it. You know, you get excited about those sorts of things. So if that's you, man, the church needs you. If we're going to continue to grow, if we're going to continue to make an impact, we need people to be administrators. So if that's you, man, we, we want to know. We want to help you. We want to help find a place for you to, to use that gift. So, so both of these last two, the helping and, and administration, are both natural abilities, but that doesn't mean they're any less supernatural gifts, right? So we, we tend to think of the charisma, which is the word for gifts here, as just the, the more supernatural things, right? Tongues and prophecy and 
uh, healing and miracles, but no, no, it's applied to all of these things. So this is natural things that God uses supernaturally for the glory of his church, right? So you might have always been an organizer, but God's going to breathe life into it and use it for the, for the edification and the, the building up of his church. You might have always been a person who helps just naturally, but God is going to leverage that for his kingdom and, and use you and your gifts and people like you in really magnificent ways. And praise God for that. All right. So I think as, as we as a church need to respond uh, to, to this portion of 1 Corinthians, right? Just all of this in, in a couple of different ways. Um, one is that we should be expecting more active participation from God the Holy Spirit within our church. Okay, not to just this sermon, but just in these, these few weeks. Is we should be, part of what God is doing is, just to, is to bring us to a place where we expect more active participation from God the Holy Spirit in our church. And, and so, yes, that means in our gatherings, right? That we should be singing as a people who believe in a resurrected Savior. Amen? Like, like the, the, what we're celebrating is that there was a man who, who was dead, and now he's alive again. Like, that's not... Normal. That's not boring, and we should never be like yawning at that. Right? So we should be seeking his presence as the living God, as we worship, as we sing, that he is here, he is alive, and he's working in our midst to, to bring healing, to bring um, set people free, to, to bring salvation to people like that. We we should be attuned to that. We should be expecting him to be more active in our gatherings. So absolutely, but not just in our gatherings. So it's not just about expecting the Spirit here on Sunday mornings, but also just in our life together in community, right? That with one another, as we're loving on one another, that God might give one another, like he might use us to bless one another in this moment, in our community, or in the community as witnesses. We should expect that he's going to show up and do things that only he can do, and he's going to do that through us. It's incredible. So we should begin to expect that. And then secondly, we should expect... Uh, this to mean that each of us is more involved in the work. So we should expect him to be more actively, you know, involved and participating in our, in our church. But then as he does that, he's going to do that through you and me. He's going to do that through you all and less through me. Right? So we have to, we have to just turn our expectations around. Okay, if God's going to do something incredible, if he's going to bring revival, if he's going to grow our church, we start thinking more about, okay, what, how does he want to use me? In that, not not me specifically as the pastor, quite the opposite, right? Like, how does he want to use you in the in the in the pews, in the community groups, and like, how, how does he want to use you? And we need to start thinking about that and and posturing ourselves in that way. So, if you've never jumped in to serve, you never joined a serving team, now's a good time. You can find Cindy or, or Anthony will be in the lobby afterwards. You can grab myself. We'll, we'll we'll do our best to just try to help plug you in. If you've never asked God how He wants to use you, how has He gifted you? Now's the time. Start asking, praying, asking those questions. Could this be this, Lord? Ask people around you. Could, have you ever seen me gifted in a certain way? Like, ask them to help identify this to you. We have to move out of a consumer mindset. God has not called us to just watch what he, like, watch what the staff does, right? That's not what he's called his church to do. He's, he's not just called us to fill a hole on this team or that, right? Sometimes this is necessary. Like, we just need some people to do these tasks, sort of like household chores. That, that happens, sure, but but... More than that, we want people who are actually called to do those things. So sometimes, you know, churches will just put somebody as a greeter, back when we could do such a thing, right? We put somebody as a greeter just because we didn't know what else to do with them or that was all they were comfortable doing. And, and that's not, 
all bad, but we really want people in the greeting spot who are gifted in hospitality, right? That are just, that just naturally are just really create a welcoming atmosphere, right? Like that we want God to, to begin to put people in place to work in a really helpful way. Like I could pick something up with my toes because I got long, weird toes, but it's not nearly as effective as my hand, right? So sometimes people are just like, well, I'll do it, you know, and they just keep filling in that role. But reality, God's made somebody else to do that a whole lot better, right? And they made that other person to do something else better than that person can do. And so we need to start experiencing that, expecting that. All right, so for many of you, this does not sound exciting, right? Perhaps you came here, you know, expect, like, you, got, you feel like you got gypped because you came here expecting to receive something for yourself, and all this is talking about how God wants to use you to be a part of the team and get involved, and so you uh, to start giving of yourself more, and, and, and the truth is that, that none of that is wrong for you to come and have a desire for God to, to fill a hole in your life or to, to meet some expectations. That's not wrong, but your desire to, of how you get that filled up, how you get yourself made whole, it might need to be redirected because what we think will fill us, right, some self-help stuff, if I could just get to this or get to that, then I'll be whole, that actually won't fill us up. That, that you find fulfillment in having a purpose beyond yourself. Like that that's what God has for you. It's not all about you. He's not, he, he's not coming to supplement your life goals. He didn't come to offer you some really epic self-help. Like, that's not how he postures himself. It's not what he's here to do. Instead, he comes to call us to die to ourselves and to find life in him. So what we, what we realize, Jesus says, hey, those who lose their life end up finding it. Those who give their life for me and the sake of my kingdom end up finding all that they ever thought they desired. But those who keep holding on to it and thinking, I gotta get it out of this, get it out of this, they're gonna find it. All that slips away like sand, and you're left with, with nothing. But, but the, the offer of the gospel is that we find purpose beyond ourselves, that we find meaning and self-worth and value by being a part of something bigger than ourselves. And that is what Jesus has come to rescue us from, this idea of self-preservation, this idea of self-promotion. Jesus comes and says, no, no, no. I'm going to show you how to live life, and I'm going to be an example. I'm going to give my life so that you could receive life. So if you're here and you're like, man, I, I don't know about all this talk of like where I'm gifted or how I'm called. Like I just need hope for tomorrow. I need to figure out how to not be in despair. Well, his name is Jesus. And a part, like finding your gift and having a purpose, that's a part of it. But before you get there, you have to be a part of the, the body of Christ. So if you're not a Christian, the first thing to do is just ask yourself, what have you done with Jesus? And you, and you, believe, you confess with your mouth that, he, that you're a sinner, you need a Savior, and you, you ask him to make you a Christian. You ask him to become the Lord of your life, that you will be saved. And he's got a whole lot more in store for you down the road where you find your purpose, you find your place, and you're used in something bigger than yourself. But you can't get there without coming to Jesus as your Savior. Let's pray. God, would you make your message clear? Would you come and speak powerfully through uh, your people in this time, and would you minister to our hearts? Set people free, call people to salvation, do your work. We ask it and hope it in Jesus' good name. Amen.